women are being murdered. There's no dogs <laughs> being killed. No one's going around killing dogs. Women are being murdered in this film, and it's that's who the dog killer is. It's by the end of this episode, you will have discovered how Under the Silver Lake revealed Hollywood's biggest secret, and no, it's not what you think it is. But before we can get to that, we need to discuss the clues, genius, symbolism, conspiracy, and misdirection of Under the Silver Lake. Now join me and the Kino Corner as we go down this frightening rabbit hole. When I first saw it at Cannes, my immediate reaction was to call it Thomas Pynchon's Eyes Wide Shut for the Twitter age. And I think that's an accurate description of this movie. Yeah, it's very... Is Pinchonian a word? (laughs) So I want to go as far as to say that Under the Silver Lake, it might be the most important film of the 21st century, which is quite a bold statement to say, but I don't think there's anything that's come out in cinema this decade that like speaks so much truth as this movie does. I think, and I'll get to it later, but I just want to preface and say specifically though, the scene with the songwriter is really all that matters in this movie above everything else, above all the misdirection. And it's funny because that important scene comes in like the middle of the movie. Yeah. Like nothing, like you, you just got the, the most important answer that this film is saying right in the middle of the movie. And really everything after that, it just doesn't matter. Like the movie Mm -hmm. could really end right there and you get, that's what matters most. And and in a way for the themes and the message of the film, in a way, I mean, to, to be like, you know, a high school English teacher by having that in the middle, it does do like the fried tags pyramid of like, it's the denouement from there on out. And it's actually a pretty long Denouement, because that is the climax. I yeah, would say yeah. that is the the climax of the film, and the rest is just sort of like the climax unraveling a bit until he sort of finds his place in the world, like amidst this revelation. Yeah, which he really never does find his place in the world. I would say by the end, this is probably the most detailed movie since Kubrick. I would even say, like with how many like hidden messages that are like put in this film, whether important or misdirection, and like the fact that. It has an obsessive subreddit to this day, fucking like X amount of years later, and is still like going trying to like unravel a lot of the mysteries of this film. I think speaks a lot to it. And there's really like, what what other film, especially something like this, that's like not a big film that people know about, is do has like that kind of obsessive. But I think a lot of the messages in the film, much like what sam is pursuing is a lot of like misdirection and like meaningless stuff that like Mm. ultimately doesn't matter like you still have these fucking redditors on what i think is david robert mitchell's wild goose chase for these people because he's creating a conspiracy about a conspiracy film and they're playing into the they're playing into the the character that andrew garfield is where it's bored millennials who have no excitement in their life who are living meaningless lives who are trying to create meaning out of uh con- like uncovering some conspiracy like what i he's literally me for real for yeah real. <laughs> what i what i told you like when i was watching because i i'd only seen this once before i saw this in the cinema when it came out and i was kind of nonplussed by it. like it didn't really strike me that much but i hadn't gone down like the schizo rabbit hole you know you weren't based yet i weren't pa- i wasn't based yet and uh and I really liked it on on the second the second time. And what I noted, you know, uh, I think this movie is better on a second or third viewing. I mean, I've, this is my tenth viewing, yeah. and it just like 
even on the 10th viewing, I'm still like discovering new stuff. That's how layered this film is. And you really can't say that about even the top percent, most of the top yeah. percentile of films. Yeah. But what I, what, what I was saying that something I thought was actually kind of cool that they did in this is that this is like a De Palma-esque. I mean, it's, it's obviously very inspired by De Palma, Lynch, uh, a lot of the 40s and 50s, yeah, noir. noir. Yeah. And, uh, but most of those movies not all of them have some sort of in, have some sort of real like inciting action to um you know to uh to actually propel the story forward and the inciting action in this like he's already kind of in that whole conspiracy way of thinking before yeah. the inciting action is that this girl moves out of his apartment building like yeah. it's really like it's a nothing exciting action like inciting action because it's really not about what Riley Co what propels this investigation is really he's already in the investigation when he finds out that she has supposedly died. Yeah. So what really propels his investigation into all of this is um his boredom. Yeah. Well it's, and his it, obsession. Well it's not even just boredom. It's just his loneliness. And yeah. that's like the most beautiful thing about this film is something I didn't appreciate the first viewing. I remember seeing this the first time and I got to the end, and I'm like, that was it. That's how it ends. And I felt it felt so anticlimactic, and it felt like I'm like, I I wanted this grander conspiracy, you know, this grander payoff, but that I was missing the point of the film completely. Yeah. And he, you know, you have all this thing about dog killer throughout the film. When, mm. And, you know, people keep being like, oh, is he the dog killer? Blah, blah, blah. You know, people talk about it online and whatnot. And that doesn't matter, first off. Um, second of all, the reason he carries the dog treats around is because he misses his ex. Like yeah. it has nothing to do with dog dog, yeah. whip, like dogs and women are the same thing in this movie. Yeah. You know, that's why, mm. you know, dog, like the women are barking constantly, mm -hmm. you know, are dogs being murdered in LA? No women are being murdered. There's no dogs <laughs> being killed. No one's going around killing dogs. Women are being murdered in this film and it's by Hollywood. That's who the dog killer is. It's Hollywood itself. Yeah. It's all a metaphor. Hollywood's the dog killer. Women are the dogs. That's the whole metaphor right there. He's I, not I, like a dog killer. He's I, not a woman killer. I, I love the one, like, the, the, the company that is a prostitution company where shooting they have stars. shooting stars, yeah. but it's all Hollywood shooting actresses. Shooting loads into stars. Yeah, but it's all Hollywood actresses. And, I mean, it is it is a little on the nose, but it is like, yeah – a lot of actresses are treated like prostitutes. Yeah. A lot of actors are treated like prostitutes. But like too, so but... much of life is on the nose with with this stuff and like yeah. conspiracies and whatnot. So like it's only appropriate that in this film it's on the nose as well. I will say though, I have even though I don't believe he's the dog killer at all because the theory I just said is the correct theory. I do like this alternate theory that I came up with when watching it on my tenth viewing this time is, um, and this is more of. Of course, because of the MK Ultra branding, I'm going to think of this more. But um, I do like the concept of maybe he's been MK Ultra into being the dog killer from all the codes that he sees and whatnot and hears. And that's why, and he's, he's always having these nightmares mm -hmm. about like killing the dogs. So, and because dog equal women and whatnot. So I do think that's like, um, I don't think that's actually it, but I think it kind of also fits that yeah. he could very well be MK Ultra into becoming the serial killer. And he does that at night. Cause one of you mentioned sleepwalking. 
um, when we were watching the movie. And then that's kind of like, I like that there's so many different conspiracies going on in this film between, you know, the actual plot of the movie with the underground tombs, with the songwriter, with the owl's kiss, with the dog killer, with just like any other sort of like random codes or whatever, because there's just so much in this film. And it like, you could even say that it mimics real life in the way it's like that the elites will throw out these misdirection conspiracies for us to chase, you know, um, you know, these white rabbits and whatnot and and lead to nothing. Well, I also think, too, it's it's a way for Mitchell to have fun with the audience because he, th- you know, having all the pizza, like having these different conspiracies and having things that they don't talk about, but patterns that we know or patterns that we then recognize and we're like, wait, we're recognizing this pattern here because we start to then think like Andrew Garfield's character in here. We start to, we you know, we start kind of participating in seeing patterns that even Andrew Garfield's not seeing. So I think it's, it's really yeah. just, I think it's a fun way to kind of get uh, audience participation, like to actively engage with the movie as opposed to like passively just seeing him maybe uncover this, yeah. this stuff. And, like, there's, you know, there's a lot of, like, phallic imagery. A lot of it's literal between, like, just drawing the dicks on the car, yeah. scratching it. There's the dick on the um, on the, the stall wall, yeah. which has, like, the hobo code stuff on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, that was a great. Yeah. I loved the hobo code stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he, he includes all that phallic imagery because it's like, look, you know, because he explicitly talks code. about it with, like, all the advertisements <laughs> and stuff like that. And then he's, like, continuing to throw it around where it's like, you know, you have the unconsciousness like, of the look ad. Look at here, right here. Yeah. Just a, a butt shot, you yeah. know, like, because they're talking about this, like, over-sexualization in media and how, like, uh, like sex and media is, like, made for mind control. And then they'll, like, put the, the phallic stuff in. Also, just random like ass shots, you know, having the one lady just always have her tits out. Yeah. You know, it's like it, it's this it's that kind of stuff that's just it's playing into like the movie movie auditions. Yeah. Movie. Right there in a the garage <laughs> with some fucking like sketchy looking dude in a wife beater. Yeah. I and everyone like... is wearing the same outfit. Yeah. It's very um, ironic. Anyone that's like called this movie or David Robert Mitchell misogynistic because to be honest, it's actually more feminist, which in like the actual meaning, not like fucking today's garbage stuff, but like, you know, talking about like how it's how women are treated like fucking dogs and they're treated like meat and they're fucking prostitutes especially, in Hollywood. Yeah, especially in Hollywood, yeah. So like this pil- this film is like actually very based for both for all sides of the political spectrum, if you're not like a complete retard focusing on like Idpole. I, I, I like shit. I like how one of the girls, the, the um, girl with the uh, balloons, yeah, you know, she's part of that uh, prostitution ring. And he's like, oh, so you're a star. And she goes, um, from five to six months. Yeah. And uh, he's on like a, like a soap opera or something. Yeah. She was on a soap yeah, opera as a baby. Yeah. But it's like, okay. So it's like, okay. So she was exploited like early on. And now she's like a has been child actress, even though she was a, fucking baby when you know she was yeah she was in there but now she's relegated as a post-child actress yeah. relegated as a balloon to, girl that's interesting yeah. i didn't pick up on the fact that she was exploited but i did see it as a not a motif or i saw it as a significant note yeah, yeah. uh the the i thought the scene when he's in the bathtub after he got skunked mm-hmm. and he's with his i guess his kind of girlfriend yeah and he's talking about like, do you feel like there are people that use the media 
and they communicate with themselves, but it's yeah. only for them. And I was, I thought that that was um, very insightful. I wonder if that was the filmmaker's inspiration for making the movie to begin with. Yeah. Was yeah. if he thought he saw patterns in media that elites would use to communicate with each other through the mainstream, kind of like uh, indigo children type stuff yeah where yeah. you have these like in code gias yeah. do you remember how there was like the intelligence agency that had all the high schoolers in it and I don't all at high well. school it's been a while since i've seen code gas well that, that i mean they talk about making the world's biggest pizza and having like the biggest pizza party ever like yeah. in code gas but anyway awesome. there's a there's a they talk about how you have these uh i mean in code Ge- uh, blah, blah, blah. in yeah, that yeah. anime there's an intelligence agency made of high school students. Yeah. They're like legit. Yeah. They're in high school. They're high schoolers. They're also intelligence assets. Also right? known this as is kind of like who use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but this would be like, you know, I dated someone that would talk about this stuff, like very in the know. And like basically indigo children are not aliens they're literally intelligence babies yeah right that you have an intelligence network and they do do that with the media what, what do you think um the point is of like elites sending secret codes to each other through like public means rather than just like texting each yeah. other well i mean there's <laughs> there there's the type in this one where it's like like very hyper specific esoteric like symbols that are very specific but i mean they do it you can like zoom back and see that they do it with like signaling um like how to how to speak how to act the codes of conduct if you're in this club and they definitely use all the mainstream media platforms to to like broadcast like where the narrative is going yeah where the narrative is going i think also right it's to like broadcast to all the other elites like look i made this piece of media it has the correct signaling in it so that you know i'm one of the crew yeah, like yeah. so you know like so you know that i'm not i'm i'm not again like i'm part of you but it has to be this like public signal or you know public presentation of it you were talking about like communicating through the media i just finished uh, a book in the warhammer series the horus heresy it's it was called the descent of angels and they so the the planet they were trying to be to make compliant to the imperial order was able to synchronize in ways that they couldn't comprehend so like the marines who are like the imperials they're trying to like make this planet compliant but the non-compliant planet of just like ordinary non-genetically enhanced humans were able to synchronize in real time like everywhere as if they were communicating with their phones and as if they were communicating with their phones as if they were like emailing and phone calling but they weren't Mm -hmm. they were just so in sync yeah that it was like it again it was kind of like a good way to get it out on a scale so if you're going to you know, it's it's a religion of sorts, right? So, like, you can think of, like, religion as having certain benefits to, like, keeping people having a kind of connection, right? Like, 
you can also do that through the media. Like yeah. you, like you don't have to reinvent the wheel to realize there are certain evolutionary advantages and like pragmatic side effects of having like shared mythology, shared messaging, like shared culture, shared references. So you could do that with a book, right? You could also do that with a just like insider track. And so if you put that insider track in messaging, you'll be you can shape society in two ways. You'll be shaping some people subliminally and unconsciously, and then some people who will feel satisfied that oh, I'm not being subliminally affected. I'm just being recognized. I'm just recognizing. We see you. We hear like you. the inside baseball. <laughs> I'm just like I'm just recognizing the inside baseball. I'm not being subliminally affected by it. I'm like I, I'm almost yeah because it's consciously participating. Yeah, I mean you bring religion into it, and we're literally describing the cathedral, like you know that there you that go. concepts. Um, yeah. Well, it's tracks. also like if you like with religion, you know, like uh, with religion comes a lot of symbols it's like so if you're watching a movie right and you see stigmata like a nail go through somebody's somebody's hand you see you know a cross a cross type of thing you see uh i mean there's there's so there's so many like someone going underground like an under the silver lake how they go into these underground tombs it's like descent into hades you know um it's it is not so much like we might think it's subliminal, but it's really just that we instantly recognize. It's like, archetypical. We, yeah, we, yeah, we don't yeah. even think we don't even think about it. We see it and we instantly know if the elites are going to be communicating with each other, right? If there's going to be some sort of like communicating through the media, all they have to do <laughs> is have a separate set of shared symbols where they understand what the and you know this like the whole homeless like yeah symbols thing it's like a separate set of shared symbols that they instantly understand and you know yeah i feel like most people identify with andrew garfield but i really identified as the hobo king <laughs> andrew garfield literally me the hobo king, no the hobo king is the most stereotypical L.A. character. <laughs> he represents L.A. They're yeah. all homeless. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And they all think they're kings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to point out a scene that just came up on screen, which was um, the one with, with him and Topher Grace when he has the drone and he's just like spying in on a woman, which is like very De Palma-esque. You know, like with, body double. Yeah, yeah, with that. And I just thought like that scene was so weird and like just – seeing it again now it's like making me think is like is that supposed to be just another actress that's like fucking you're seeing a glimpse of her like behind the scenes when she's by herself like how miserable she is yeah for this fucking la lifestyle that they're all like slaves to you don't know why she's miserable she just yeah. happens to be yeah miserable. but it's just yeah. interesting because that's the only time I, I can think of at least where you see a woman really by herself that's like sitting alone with her thoughts and not like someone else yeah. I mean, or and, like and, doing something. And the the women in public in this, they're they're obviously like being trafficked and and mistreated in various ways, but they're always like putting on a show. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. and that's very L.A. Yeah. You know, they're they're always like happy, bubbly, like that, like literally down for whatever. Oh, you want to go see? Go show me where the songwriter's house is. Let's let's go. Yeah, you know, and and it's, it's no yeah. surprise that the people that who brings him to the songwriter, the whores, the prostitutes. Yeah. 
of course they know where the songwriter is. You know, he's talking about, he's like, oh, I wrote that one between a blowjob and an omelet because, you know, those are the fucking, that's, that's who knows where he lives. Yeah. You know, there's no one that comes to him except for the fucking prostitutes and shit yeah. like that. They're talking about the movie Seventh Heaven at the beginning of the movie and Jefferson Sevens, the billionaire, is Sevens, last name, going in an underground tomb to go to a heaven. So I thought that was just like, mm. um, oh yeah. There's there's just interesting wordplay like yeah. that. The the poster of the movie of Severance's daughter that dies. She's in the same position as like Jeffrey Dahmer would put like his victims. Mm. Um, and that yeah, uh, Playboy I, cover. Yeah. Well, the Playboy cover for part of it, but the poster specific. The Playboy cover is the the front facing shot. But if you look at the normal poster of the movie where it's like her like all the way like zoomed out. She's in that, that like arching, like Jeffrey Dahmer pose that I think Podesta or some or yeah one of those one of those sick uh, DNC fucks had had like a statue of a woman in that pose like in his house. Talk about the secret messaging. The cannibalism secret messaging is like deep in some of this stuff. If you watch the movie Step Brothers, if you watch a Guardians of the Galaxy, it's like people are so on the uh, the pizza and the underage stuff. They're not as with the what, what is the Jeffrey Dahmer statue messaging in those? Yo, people want to fucking mainstream eating people. Well, they want to mainstream. How, how does it relate to to Step Brothers Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy? They wanna, they I'm wanna, just curious, they, specifically those movies you reference, yeah. like the yeah. blue yeah. guy is a cannibal and wants to eat the main guy. And he goes on this uh, whole monologue about how that doesn't even oh, occur right. to most people. In Guardians? He's like, Guardians, and he yeah. goes, oh, yeah. there's the blue guy. He's like, this doesn't even occur to people that this is actually on people's minds. That, like, my motivation is that I literally just want to eat you. Yeah, this is Guardians right? 2. And then, like, it's like. I think it's Guardians 2, right? No, I think that's. Oh, Guardians. or is it 1? Uh, I haven't seen. I only saw one when it came out in theaters, so I don't remember it at all. What is it in Step Brothers? I've seen that movie enough that. When Will Ferrell is burying. Um, John C. Riley yeah. in the backyard, yeah. and talking about what he's gonna do to slow his heart rate and how he's gonna like. He talks. He starts talking uh, about like the prep of like the whole of like Jeffrey Dahmer situation yeah, of like how to eat a person properly. Yeah, with the tetrodotoxin and you fucking do the whole thing. Yeah, that's actually pretty insane. So that's the secret messaging, yeah. right? And it's like the screenwriters don't know. You'll have seven screenwriters working on a movie. Which is always super. And then the one that's billed is not the one that's responsible for that the shit. under the silver lake motif that they put in there. Just mm. like that songwriter. They yeah. talks well, to the artist and he goes, What why'd you put this code in a song? And he goes, That song was actually given to me. I didn't write yeah. that one. This movie was fucking buried. Ironic. Under the Silver Lake was buried. Facts. Uh, Season two. Much, of much like the rich people yeah. and the women in this movie. <laughs> Being buried, this film was also buried. This had such a, a shitty release by a oh, had a terrible release that it premiered at Cannes 2018. Yeah, and then like it was supposed to come out that December. Yeah, and then it didn't come out. But then it got released in France, and then like it was like leaked online from like Blu-ray rips, and then like came out in like what April 2019. Yeah, it came, it, yeah after it was it, already online. Well, and didn't they do like? They cut a lot of stuff from it too. Like the version that we see now is like cut. No, the version that we see now is, is the original. Is the original because David Robert Mitchell refused to cut it. Oh, okay. They so won. that that was also the thing. A twenty four wanted to fucking cut it. 
Yeah, they they wanted to get it down, I think, to like less than two hours. You you can't. There's nothing to cut in this movie. Yeah, there's nothing. It's funny that like this is the worst runtime for a movie. Two hours and twenty minutes is like the worst runtime range. But like, it's perfect for this. It just it. it I can't think perfect. of anything yeah. to cut. It doesn't. Yeah. It also doesn't feel two hours and twenty minutes. No. no. Yeah, like it flows because there's really so well. much going on. Like there's, yeah. it's so engaging because. There's so much information being told to you in every fucking scene. Yeah. That, like, even, like, if you're not even just focusing on, like, the actual mystery, you want to focus on the mystery behind the scenes as yeah. well. So there's just, like, so much to think about that, like, you, you can't cut anything. And I I applaud David Robert Mitchell for standing his ground on it. And I think that's part of the reason why this film got buried and stuff because a24 is like how are we going to market this but i think that also speaks a lot you know with the subject matter of the film that of course that a movie like this gets you know buried people who are in the know on certain things uh see the world through a different lens because yeah. they are in the know but what i do like about that is that there's this whole conspiracy and you know there's just like all these codes and everything like that and it really is for this like Hollywood death cult where they think that the ult like the ultimate uh success is basically uh kill yourself to kill yourself and, like, the world sucks and nihilistic and yeah it's, it's like satanic in its message without ever saying anything well expressing Satan. Yeah, no, it is satanic because it's saying that like uh life is meaningless, so we have to go underground underground means to hell to hell to hades right underground where there's absolutely no way we can come it's like yeah. it's like the opposite of plato's cave it's like we are outside we're enlightened and because we're enlightened we want to go back in the fucking cave right yeah. and they want to go underground they want to seal it off so there's no possible way they can escape and they seal their fate with that and they say and there's going to be food there's going to be wine there's going to be television and there's going to be lots of sex None of those, all of those things are fairly inherently meaningless, just distractions. Distractions, uh, it's uh, their delights, or pl it's pleasure, it's pleasure over meaning um, until they eventually die yeah. down there. And it's, and it's, they say like, oh, but like, look at the world, like this, like who wants to live in this world? And it's, I, I uh, you know, I pointed out that it's, that is kind of like a, almost like a Gnostic thought, right? That the world around you is like this illusion that's just terrible, that's that's actually evil. And um That's Gnosticism yeah. or agnostic. No, that's Gnosticism. Cause you know, it's the idea of the demiurge. I mean, okay, so there's different variations of Gnosticism. There's like Valentinian like the Valentinians and like there's different schools of thought that are all kind of brought under Gnosticism. But the basic one of the basic sort of ideas is like that it's almost like early christian version of simulation theory um that there's a demon that is actually like our world is actually controlled by a demon and what we see is actually not reality and it's kind of inherently evil so then nothing mm -hmm. matters because like yeah it yeah, kind of leads all, to yeah. nihilism well that's that's one like the nicene creed um you know, which if you're if you went to grew up going to church or, you know, like me was a theology student, um, the Nicene Creed was really written to uh discount or to basically say like Gnosticism is not a part of Christianity. 
because it was very influenced by Hellenistic thinking, you know, like 200 years after, uh, 200 years after Jesus, it was really influenced by like the kind of the Greek thinking. I mean, it's like the talking about like being satanic. It's like the, um, the original definition of that was like pagan and like all the stuff is covered in like the Egyptian imagery. And there's obviously like the, you know, all the, um, like, well, there's the, a one Egyptian door. Like, yeah. Well, and they say, Oh, it's just like the, the, uh, Pharaohs going under the pyramids, you know? The, yeah. They're sealing themselves in, in like an underground mausoleum. Yeah. Type exactly. vibe. Yeah. Well, and then that also plays into the fact that there's the party that's inside the mausoleum and that's inside the cave, which foreshadows, it's it's you know it's this party where you know she's like let's have sex you know and it's in the cave under the mausoleum you know in the crypt and it foreshadows basically the end goal for all the people in this world in this world of hollywood is essentially to to die of degeneracy and you have to you have to eat, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You, you have to eat the psychedelic cookie to get in yeah yeah exactly yeah. you have to just you have poison your mind yeah, yeah. you got to poison your mind you got to distort your worldview and that's and then then you can descend and it's a dissension. I almost think it would be better off if you cut that last scene at the apartment when he's like with with the that's the only thing I could say maybe you could cut is that it ends like right after he's released from the hobo king because it's such a beautiful realization that he like when he just finally admits cuz like he he doesn't like ever admit what's wrong. He's just filling his life with sex and and porn and yeah. you know trying to find these fucking mysteries and unravel them and trying to give it meaning. And he's just holding on to you know dog biscuits because he fucking misses his ex girlfriend and that was the last thing he had good in his life. And he sees that she's like engaged and stuff and he hasn't been able to move past that. Like the dog biscuit symbolizing him holding on to that. Yeah. Here's the Egyptian. Yeah imagery right now with the uh eye of is it the eye yeah. of Ra? Yeah, or of uh either Ra o osiris or horus horus yeah. I, I don't know i, I get my egyptian yeah. gods mixed up i'm yeah. not too into egyptian mythology but um this looks cool very, Ra's, very Ra's underworld the sun god yeah Ra? Ra's, yeah and it's almost like this may be just like reaching a bit but like he's trapped by the homeless king he's in these chains and like He's set free once he admits, you know, why are you having these dog treats? Yeah. Because I miss her. And then he's let go. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like he's he finally comes to realization. He he admits what his problem is and what yeah. he's longing for. And that's when he's like quite literally let go of the chains. So that could just be me reading into it, but like with a film with all this symbolism and codes and stuff, I don't think that's far fetched to say that that's what David Robert Mitchell was going for in that scene. You would cut the last scene with the grandma or the because I don't think it the adds the guilt. I yeah. think it adds a little bit because because then he becomes part of the hush hush network, you know, because they have the uh, sign that says like "Stay quiet" in his apartment. And yeah. He sees that and he realizes that he's become like he's become enlightened um he's become enlightened through this process but the price of enlightenment is to keep it to himself yeah that works too i yeah. mean that yeah that's a good way of defending that last scene then yeah and i do like that i just kind of i just oh, did that's like interesting i just felt um 
for the emotional climax of like what he needed, I think it would be a little stronger without that scene. Yeah. But I um I do like what what you're saying because, as well. Because see if he does not keep it to himself and he's going to end up like the guy from wasn't that guy in Mulholland Drive? The yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, like he, yeah. he was in. He was in the, the guy scene. behind the dumpster. No, yeah, no, yeah, the, the no. But he's yeah. the one behind. The he dumpster. sees the one behind yeah. the dumpster. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was the he was Patrick yeah. Fisher. He was Patrick the old Fisher. school, yeah, yeah. Like, older schizo. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I think he also kind of represents like the path that Andrew Garfield is towards because like he mentions is like I should probably get a family so I have someone to leave all this stuff to. Like he doesn't even want like the family for the fulfillment. He's just like, well, I have this all this stuff. I like, I don't want it to just disappear. Yeah, exactly. So, who do you think this like Al chick is? Do you think it's just some like, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, affiliate? <laughs> I don't think it matters. Actually, I really don't think that Owl's right. kiss matters. I think she's she's definitely. Do you think what? she's just a stand-in for like their network of like how they can like kill anybody at any time and yeah it's like I mean, obvious they, they, like moloch imagery they, for yeah, sure. they, yeah yeah they say that she's connected with like the finance groups and stuff like that so yeah. just like rich elite you know just an assassin like she's like you know the person that fucking uh puts two bullets to the back of your head and suicides yourself it's so funny that she's portrayed it's so interesting that she's portrayed as this like really attractive very the way that she walks uh seductive. is seductive uh, she's completely naked except for the mask, the mask. and Which it's is just very eyes wide shut kind of feeling yeah and it's this sort of bridging of uh sex and death you know which i guess there is that connection in here between sex and death yeah. because i see because when we look into the tomb uh where riley ku is a riley ku riley ku yeah. i don't okay where riley is uh, or Sarah, as the character's name is, yeah. and uh, the other woman is completely naked, and it's they're seen as like these like pleasure domes that are essentially ticking time bombs for them to eventually die in. Yeah. So there is in this film there is this connection. Like hourglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's this connection between sex and death, which me being a fan of Mishima, like I'm like, oh yeah, sex and death, they're yeah. one and the same. They're two sides. That's the yin and the yang. You know. I want to talk more about the uh, the songwriter scene because I feel like we've discussed most of the other stuff, and the songwriter scene is the most important scene, and it, to me is one of the greatest scenes in cinema. Cinema in general, I think that is the the most truth about the world that i've ever seen in a movie like the the secret truth not like you know emotional truth or anything like that but like the you know of how society works and the fact that like he walks into this massive empty house and one guy who's really old which is like a normal the actor is like a normal like guy he's just in a shit ton of prosthetics that make him look super fucking old older than like if you had a old guy like he looks fucking like really weird because he's he looks like he's 300 yeah, yeah which is what's great about it because he's like he's like i've been making music for your generation your younger generation your parents your grandparents like which implies that like he's been around forever and the rebellion that those generations thought was yeah. changing things is actually being sold you know it, and it's, it's it's controlled and, opposition yeah, yeah and just mirrors society so perfectly because it's just like you know everything 
that you think is real. It's every it's that scene tells you that everything in the world is fake. That everything you see, none of it's real. Well, he says know? when you're rebelling, you're rebelling to my music. So there was a social engineering yeah. potential for can you shape people through intention and cultural programming and the answer is yes and they've been doing maybe it forever. maybe yeah. you and can killed, but yeah. it's yeah maybe you can that is it seemed like that's what he was saying it yeah. seemed like he was saying i've been shaping the generations he's been shaping the generations which has meant that like society has progressed and people think that there's this free will to how they change society we stood up and we did this and we did this when in reality it's 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 basically orders yeah. it's orders from the top yeah it's ratatouille yeah. But, and it's the villains from and sailor moon it then makes it kind of funny how Andrew garfield kills him easily but, yeah no not just easily with but he, kurt cobain's guitar kurt yeah, cobain's yeah. Kurt Cobain Someone, poster yeah. over his bed yeah, yeah, yeah kurt cobain's guitar smashing a guitar which is a rock and roll symbol yeah like, rebelling yeah in that. yeah and it, of rebelling you know smashing the guitar that i think the who started it yeah. smashing the guitar and became like this yeah we're like the ultimate rock stars we're smashing guitars and you know smashing it into this face and the guy's face probably looks similar to kurt cobain's face and i mean like the the you know nirvana grunge music that was obviously promoted by the entertainment complex very nihilistic yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know. Literally a song, rate me. <laughs> really? Like... Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah, the fact that he just kills him so easily, but I also really like the line of dialogue where um where Sam says to him he's like, "You have everything." And then he just like somberly says, "No." So it's like he's he's nothing more than another tool. Like Yeah. Sa- that's the reason Sam was able to get in here so easily and kill him because he doesn't matter. There's he could he's replaceable. The guy who's been writing the messages for fucking generations upon generations and writing these like important pieces of like fucking music and media and whatnot, even he doesn't matter because yeah. he can be fucking replaced. That's how like meaningless all this fucking mainstream art is. If you want to, like, I, I think a good, like, way to look at under the world of Under the Silver Web, right? Like. Or Under the Silver Lake <laughs> is is that it's like a web, and Andrew Garfield's character is only occupying this, like, little space on the fringes of it, that even though he goes deep in, he does not get anywhere near the center. Oh, n- yeah. Not you, you know close. what I mean? He's just uncovering this little aspect of it, but it does enlighten him to the fact that this web exists. Yeah. And that he'll probably never know anything about the rest of it yeah but yeah i that's why to me this is just like the most important scene and it's just like there's just so much truth to it that like no other film has like spoken this you know because it's like even though the film is not grounded in reality it still feels grounded in reality if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense well it's a heightened reality It's, it's not completely fantasy it's not completely surreal it's heightened reality yeah yeah and I think that makes it feel more real than than something that's supposed to be grounded in reality. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have to kind of get away from it, especially in art, in order to get at it, you know? Yeah. And so, stuff, you know, as much as I love The Matrix and plenty of other, like, you know, conspiracy movies and whatnot, like, none of them are speaking this truth. You know, stuff like Matrix, at the end of the day, it's like, that's the same stuff as the songwriters making. 
as much as I love The Matrix. Isn't that what Baudrillard said about The Matrix? He said, The Matrix is the kind of movie The Matrix would make about itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And as great as the movie, (laughs) you know, it's one of my all time favorite fucking trilogies and it's like masterfully made. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's. It's another fucking psyop along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's like important to recognize that. And, you know, that's probably another reason why that this, you know, this movie could have been buried for for logistical reasons that make total sense, which are the simplest things. But, you know, it is a funny coincidence as well. The subject matter that this gives to people in such reality and plain truth that i have not seen in another movie and then just also happens to get buried you don't have to bury it if 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 people underestimate how much um assistance anything gets that gains traction yeah so you don't have to actively bury something if just yeah that's what i meant by just not yeah elevating it yeah at all that's what i meant by burying it they're not like actively making sure people don't watch it they're just not uh, correct they're not elevating it right and because people know how to do that, and so if you have people in the industry, they're like they they can just not feel for it. They can just be like, yeah. oh, I just didn't like it. Yeah, like, it's, it's, and that's it. And then they just it. they try to just you know have it be forgotten. So, but these things tend to come back, you know, like a lot of movies that weren't popular become popular many years later. Yeah, I Books. think this film is gonna have long legs, and I think this is gonna be one of those like actual true cult classics that. As time goes on and more people discover this, this is going to be considered like one of those all-time greatest films, and not just like not something like Southland Tales, which I don't understand the comparisons this gets to it at all. Like it doesn't make any sense. The comparison, no, to that doesn't make. They're yeah. two and totally so many people movies. say that, and I feel like I'm like, is everyone else just literally a brain dead retard? Because there's no similarities really. Um, and but like Southland Tales is something that has gained a cult following over the years, but it's still it's not like in the realm of classics. You know, it's yeah. not something like Donnie Darko, which you mentioned earlier, which is something that gained a cult following, but it's like considered in the realm of classics. Yeah, it's it, it is a cult classic. Like it completely. Which also, I they're both Richard Kelly, which I didn't even yeah they're mean both to make that Kelly. connection yeah. purposely. No, I thought you were doing that purposely because no. it was Richard Kelly. Yeah. No, like uh, Donnie Darko bombed and it was it did terribly for like a year and then it only started to pick up on home video, which here's the uh, guitar smashing scene playing yeah. on the TV right now. But yeah, like that really is what I, I hate it when people say this is a new cult classic in the making. The movie's like doing fine at the box office. Yeah. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, they'll just say that about like fucking like Midsummer or oh or yeah, like this is like, a cult classic. No, it made you don't a lot know of money. what a cult classic. <laughs> yeah, is. it made a lot of money. Yeah. You, if it's gonna be a cult classic, it can't make money. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, no director wants his film to be a cult classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like wow. Yeah, I I put in all this work and maybe I'll get paid in forty years. Yeah. Yeah, off royalties. Maybe yeah. people will recognize my greatness then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want that. You want to get the payout, you know? But yeah, um, diminishing returns. Like, this movie sums up what Charles says, his like cons- uh, his thesis on, like, conspiracy brain rot. It's like, the more you go into this rabbit hole, the more it's going to end up becoming diminishing returns at a certain point. It's like, yeah. what benefit is this, or is seeking this knowledge really going to give you at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. Like, your life is going to be the same-ish. You know, if if you're miserable and you have a shitty life, knowing the answers and all this esoteric knowledge is not going to save you. 
I'm youtube.com slash at the Kino Corner. You like movies that are literally me? Or shocking. Actually, my second biggest video is on uh, Lars von Trier. So. Hey, that's someone that I bet a lot of people will say, hey, Lars von Trier is literally me. Yeah, I did a video on Antichrist. So. Him specifically, not his movies. Yeah, no, Willem Dafoe and Willem Dafoe and Antichrist is literally me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Damn, you know, pack it. <laughs> That's what I meant. I only meant it in one sense. Yeah. <laughs>